Hello, I'm Emma Forsyth, and you're listening to A Little Forsyth, the podcast where I ask people what would they say to their younger self if they could. I want to know what advice, information, tips or encouragement they would give themselves that will hopefully help or entertain others who listen in too. I suppose you could call it Foresight through the benefit of hindsight. I really hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Emma Forsyth, and you're listening to A Little Foresight, the podcast where I ask people what would they say to their younger self if they could. I want to know what advice, information, tips or encouragement they would give themselves that will hopefully help or entertain others who listen in too. I suppose you could call it foresight through the benefit of hindsight. I really hope you enjoy it. My guest today is a true wealth of knowledge and expertise in the area of women's health, has worked in obstetrics and gynecology in Ireland and Australia for over 20 years, is a no BS, gives you a full and sometimes frank detail about your health style of doctor, which I love. I find it both refreshing and helpful as someone who has had many women's health issues, which have often either been dismissed, minimized, ignored, misdiagnosed or incorrectly explained to me. She runs the Women's Health Clinic in Dunleary, is a mum of four, wonderful children, has a fierce competitive streak and is very funny, Dr. Rachel Mackey. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you very much. You're welcome. So before I even recorded my first episode of A Little Foresight, I'd asked you to have a chat with me on it. It was actually even before I'd fully settled on the exact format and theme of it. Then after my first episode where I spoke myself about what I would tell my younger self and I had a huge amount of reaction from many other women in relation to the areas of women's health that I discussed in it, it cemented even further to me how much I had to have you on. So thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Very much. My pleasure. So Rachel, I'm not going to call you doctor the whole way through. So Rachel, what would you tell your younger self? Well, this was a tricky one. I had to give this a lot of thought. Um, And I suppose there's a few different aspects of my life that I would probably divide it up into. So there would be career and then there would be family and, and different things like that. So, I mean, from a career perspective, I think I would probably have told myself not to worry too much about where my career was going because in the Irish system, it's very structured and you have to go a certain way and you have to do a certain career path. And And I was on that career path and I really felt the weight of that. Mm-hmm. And yet all along, I knew that it wasn't probably going to be the way that I wanted to end up. I could see my kind of mentors, female, and the way their career was going. And I really, it filled me with dread. It just wasn't what I thought my life would look like. But at the same time, there was just, this was a long time ago. This was back in the mid nineties. There was no alternative. You were on a career path and that was it. Um, And I spent a lot of sleepless nights worrying about what I was going to do. How was I going to make this work for me? Um, And really, I didn't need to worry about that, but I didn't know that at the time. (laughs) Well, we all, we all worry far too much about things in the future that realistically speaking, you yeah, never should. <laughs> absolutely. And then the, the other thing that I, I definitely would have told my younger self is, um, is 
oh, this sounds very trite, but I, I always wanted to have lots of children. And that was just uh, something I really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And, and I couldn't find Mr. Right. And I, I kept thinking, oh my God, my, everything's ticking away. And I, and, and it, it certainly is something to worth, worth worrying about. And I'm sure we'll touch on that later. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I was really way too young to be worrying about stuff like that. Yeah. And I should have just relaxed a bit <laughs> because I did meet Mr. Right. And I got all my babies. You certainly did. So um, I, I think I, I, I think I spent a lot of time worrying about how my life was going to pan out because I had a very fixed idea of how I wanted it to be. And in the end, I ended up being quite unconventional in what I did, which is hilarious because I always thought that I would, I would be very straight down the line, you mm-hmm. know, that my whole life would be mapped out in a very structured way. And in fact, I ended up being reasonably unconventional, which yes. was good. You're like me, children and no, no marriage. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so I, whilst you were talking about your career and, and the path, um, I was actually sitting here thinking to myself, I wonder if your male counterparts were thinking the same thing at the same time as you, you know. Absolutely not. All they yeah. were thinking about was, you know, who could they get a game of golf with? Which consultants could they go golfing with? Mm-hmm. Which would further their career um, while their female counterparts held the show together at work. I know it's it's like it it sounds like you know a bit of male bashing but it it just I suppose after my age being in my 40s and having lived through so many different things as a woman you do realize that it is just entirely different yeah but having said that I gather that things are very different I mean you can see that at consultant obstetrician level that you know there's a huge amount of females and and their work-life balance is much better. Not really good enough, but much better than it would have been in my time. And that was what I was looking down the barrel of and not finding very attractive at all. Um, so it certainly has improved. But at the time, it was it was pretty dire. Um, okay, well, was brilliant to know that it has yeah. improved quite dramatically. You went to Sydney to do some research. How was that? I did. I did. Well, this was part of me finding myself. I think Mm -hmm. I was, you know, kind of reasonably early on in my career and, but decided that the thoughts of, of, you know, competing, you know, with my male counterparts, it just, the system seemed wrong here. Mm -hmm. And I was miserable. I was personally miserable and single. So I said, you know what, I'll go. My sister was living there. I would never have had the courage to go unless she had been there because I had nobody to go with. And so I went over and joined her and, and I had a fabulous four years and actually medicine in, um, in Australia is, is, is excellent in so many ways. And at the time it was particularly superb timing for me completely coincidentally I had no uh, knowledge that they were so advanced in Australia in women's health and so it was a massive boost for me because I gained experience I could never have got in Ireland Um, and also I I did a lot of growing up you know I was quite babyish before I went I came back (laughs) much more mature so it was a super experience for me but from a career perspective it was phenomenally um, influential because menopause was was huge in Australia um, it was huge business because the pharma industry were really interested in it. It was making them an awful lot of money. So they were doing huge trials. And Australia has always been a big trial center. Okay. Um, and so I got in on that and, and I worked in a research center. Um, and it was it was fabulous. They had that was 1996. They had dedicated 
free menopause clinics. Um, and that, that wow. was where I honed my skills. And it was just superb. Because I feel like in Ireland, not just menopause, but definitely menopause is something that we're only starting to discuss in the public sphere and, you know, to be not something that's kind of, I don't want to say hidden away, but essentially hidden away and sure you just get on with it. Personally, my experience of women's health in general is that you just get on with it was the attitude for a long time. And I'm seeing some change. And I think, um, thankfully, people with influence are, are, helping that like Lena Dunham and Amy Schumer in relation to endometriosis and different things Um, and obviously people like Rosanna talking about her fertility struggles and you know so I do think thankfully people are talking a bit more but I still feel like menopause might be the last little hurdle that has to be jumped properly. Well actually I think there's loads of aspects of women's health I mean you know polycystic ovarian syndrome is something I see so many young girls coming to me and they've just been fobbed off by their GP told that it's nothing, just, you know, it's nothing, get on with it. Yeah. Um, and and actually all they want is information. Yeah. They don't even necessarily want treatment. They just want to know what it is. Yeah. So it's just this attitude towards lots of different aspects of women's health that, um, you know, period pain, you know, like my clinic is full of this, you know, because really that's what tends to happen is, you know, your GP is your first port of call and mm-hmm. they're not expected to be experts on this. Nobody expects them to be. And I have no issue with that. My issue is not giving young women the time of day yeah. about their concerns and not listening to them and not giving them the information that they're looking for. I think it's criminal. And, and these clinics in Australia which are, you know, very easy to to be referred into, no waiting times, and they're just dedicated clinics for women of all ages, depending on what their hormone problem is or their, mm-hmm. their gynecological problem is. And they're just taken very seriously, you know, and, and they're not fobbed off. And it's it's the access to that kind of specialty, which is, it makes the difference, you know, and we have nothing like that here. God, it sounds yeah. like a women's health utopia. It's like just yeah, yeah. well, it so. is. They just they they consider it. I mean, it's it's classed alongside every other specialty. You know, it's it's uh, you know, there's general gynecology, but then there's hormone clinics and there's menopause clinics, and it's broken down into subspecializations. So you know that you're getting the proper um, level of information that you need, it's and it's really amazing. Like, that really is truly amazing. Like I just, you, you know, my, my experience through everything. Um, and I, as I said at the start, love that that's your attitude as well. You're just, you make sure that people are informed and you don't, you don't sugarcoat stuff, but it, like you don't scare people either, but you know, you just make sure that people realize where they are in relation to their health. And like, I even had gone to you years after being diagnosed with endometriosis and having my laparoscopies and all that kind of stuff. And you were the one who told me about how it can damage your eggs. And and people don't realize that, you know, how endometriosis, I didn't realize, and it wasn't, definitely wasn't said to me, how endometriosis can damage your fertility so much, you know, and, and not just from the point of view of not being able to get pregnant because you have it, but also what it's doing down the line kind of thing. And yeah. my experience of it was that I had, you know, a number of years in my early teens of absolute agony, went to the doctor and it was like the pill. And I do appreciate that, it, you know, it's a short term kind of something short term that you can get that might help a bit but it was literally a case of right you're going to be put on the pill then you're on that for years 
thinking, oh, everything's grand, because obviously I hadn't been diagnosed with endometriosis. And then finding out years later that actually that whole time you were just masking the the symptoms of it, but you still had it and it was doing all that damage. So, um, yeah, I, I think there's a, a huge amount of talking and it needs to be done. And I think those clinics you're talking about are amazing, which is why your clinic is so amazing. Yeah, no, I mean, it's um, endometriosis is one of those problems where people people get um you know, they, 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 they come as a younger woman and they get told about the pill. And, you know, there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of, of period pain, you will grow out of. It's mm-hmm. primary dysmenorrhea. It'll go. Yeah. Um, but even the way that the pill is being prescribed for that is wrong. You know, I mean, really, we should be having absolutely no periods whatsoever. Um, and that in itself will go a long way towards protecting your pelvic organs. But, yeah. you know, even the way the pill is being doled out, it's not being doled out in the in the appropriate way. Taking it for three weeks, stopping it for one, utterly mm-hmm. useless. You might as well be on nothing. Um, but it's the women in their 20s who maybe have come off the pill and have unmasked their very severe pain. And that's the problem is that yeah. those girls need quick access and they need a diagnosis. And I mean, I, I, it's so funny that we're doing this today because the last two days I've had several cases of what I'm quite convinced are endometriosis. And yeah. I've had to have very frank discussions with these women because some of them do not have private insurance. And they have been referred into the hospital for laparoscopies by myself. Mm -hmm. And I have absolutely no guarantee they're going to get a laparoscopy. I have had the most convincing cases um, declined a laparoscopy by a variety of Dublin hospitals. And my referral letters are not sent lightly. You know, I mean, if I don't think it's it's endometriosis, I won't send them. Um, So if I send somebody in, I would like to think that that referral letter would have some weight attached to it. And a lot of the time they don't get, whereas if I refer somebody in the private sector, they always get a laparoscopy. And that is the inequity of that makes me want to throw up. That Um, is horrendous. It is. It is. And I mean, you know, I don't know what people have to do. I mean, these are convincing stories of, of endometriosis as far as I'm concerned. And they get an ultrasound, which is useless. Absolutely useless. (laughs) And a pill. Um, and if they're lucky, they get put on the pill continuously, which is the appropriate thing to do. So I don't see, I, I don't, I don't see on how, on, unless things change, I don't see. And, and I'm, I'd say that's probably happening because of, you know, access, you know, yes. limited access to surgery time. Yes. I don't think that, that in the hospital they want to do that, but yes. I think they have a very limited number of people that they can actually do laparoscopies on. But really, you know, if, if there's a convincing history, a laparoscopy is what needs to be done. And that's borne out in the public, in the private system. You know, what consultants do in the public, they're, they're doing in the private. What they should do in the public, they're doing in the private. And, and I understand how that happens because that's the, the way it is in Ireland, yeah. but it's wrong. It's so wrong. And endometriosis is one of those conditions where, you know, there's very little correlation between, well, there can be very little correlation between how severe it is and how severe the symptoms are. So yeah. it's very hard to look at somebody, listen to their story and know whether there's endometriosis, how much damage has been done and how much it's going to progress, you know, and that's why a laparoscopy is so important. And it sets the tone then for their for their future fertility plans yeah. and management of whether they want babies or not, management mm-hmm. of their pain. You know, all of that is based on laparoscopy. So, yeah, not to keep talking about it, because I know this is Well, I was going to say, I know it's kind of something that's very specific, but I think it's specific to a lot more people than 
you know, in historically would have been kind of diagnosed with it. But yeah. my experience of it was also because I had other women's health issues and the gynecologist I was going to and was very dismissive of of my opinion that possibly I had it yeah. um, and took a long time for me to actually get like literally I had to say I want a laparoscopy and I was private so therefore and I had spent so much money on blood tests ultrasound like pelvic ultrasounds all the rest of it as you said useless um with this doctor and then when I did go I was told I was absolutely riddled with it so you know even even in my case when I did have the pain and all the symptoms like you know I had it still took quite a few years to actually and I'm not even talking about from when I first went to my GP at 12 because I appreciate that's a different scenario but I'm talking about quite a few years in my 30s you know trying to get it done. I was thinking about this um podcast and and I was thinking about you know younger women today compared to me Mm. Um, and I think they're much better advocates for their own health definitely than, than we would have been for yeah. sure. I mean, I'm much older than you, but you know what I mean? It, I, I definitely think they're much more likely to put their foot down and say, no, actually, yeah. I think this is what I want, which is fabulous. Um, and, and, I, and I hope that that continues. I'm sure it will. I mean, they're oh. just much more proactive about everything yes. um, and, and which is, is fantastic to see. Yeah. And it's so important. Like, I mean, literally, historically, women, particularly in relation to any kind of women's health or hormonal, it's, it's always been kind of like, the hysterical woman or you know the, yeah. it's been fobbed off for so long and even down yeah. to the history of people being put into mental health institutions because of yeah. like women's health issues you know and, and everything that has happened and thankfully that appears to not be you know the situation anymore but yeah I really hope that is the case and I will absolutely be saying to Maya which I'm sure you said to your girls as well absolutely from a, like you know a her early teens to not not let anything go and not just put up with stuff just for the sake of it which is what I feel we did and like my generation and generations behind me you kind of put up with stuff because you were told to because you know well it's just a heavy period or it's just this or it's just that and transpires it isn't yeah no no I I absolutely agree my poor daughters are so versed in the language of gynecology (laughs) it's frightening (laughs) so what else would Rachel tell her younger self what else would I well one of the things that we had talked about in advance of this was gut instinct and I I'm a huge believer in gut Mm -hmm. instinct and I think that uh, I would definitely have told myself to listen to it more when I was younger because it has proved to serve me very well. Um, And I listen to it all the time now. Um, And I think that, you know, for for women right through the ages, it's really important to listen to that, whether it be, you know, career choices or whatever, or I I mean, something that struck me, I saw a lady this morning who uh, came in for her six-week check with her baby and you know, she is just absolutely flying on gut instinct at the moment, um, as you do with a newborn, yeah. because you don't have anybody to really tell you in the middle of the night what the baby wants or needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, it is a huge benefit to women, and women just seem to be very good at tuning in on it. Um, and, and I think from a women's health perspective as well, you know, the number of women that come in to me and say, you know, I went, oh, God, I sound like I'm really slagging off GPs. I'm not, but it's just the GPs are always the first port of call. Yeah. 
But the number of women that come in and say, I went to my GP and I said, I think that this is my hormones. Yeah. It's my gut is telling me this is my hormone and they get dismissed. And eventually when they come to me, they are so right yeah. because, you know, their cut instinct is always correct. It's, it's phenomenal. It rarely lets you down. And I wish I'd known that because I would have called on it more when I was younger if I'd realized how good it is and how yeah. accurate it is, you know. I think it's funny. We, we rely on it a lot as children, kind of, you know, you kind of go with your gut. Yeah. And then whatever it is about your teens or your, you know, your early 20s, you, you stop. Well, I found I didn't. And that's when I find if I, I find if I don't listen to my gut instinct, then I always come to regret it, which like, you know, there's no doubt about. Even in relation to people, like Warren would sometimes kind of slag me because I might meet someone and I'm like, oh, there's just something I don't like. It's very rare that I would feel this way, but on occasion, I'd be like, I just, there's something, there's just something not right about that person. And inevitably, it may not be like very soon, but inevitably within a little while, you figure out exactly what it is. And I'm like, there you go. Um, so yeah, no, I, it's one thing I've definitely done over the last few years, much more is listen to my gut. And once again, when I don't on the odd occasion, when I kind of go, oh, maybe I'm wrong, always, always a mistake. <laughs> I wonder, is it you go through a phase in your life where you're trying to conform and, you know, be like everybody else and do the right thing. And that instinct gets suppressed because you haven't got the self-confidence to really go with it. Whereas any decisions I've made in the last 25 years of my life have been, you know, very much based on instinct and, you know, rather than conforming. And that has served me very well, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, brilliant advice yeah I think so so I did mention in um my little intro for you that um you have quite a competitive streak (laughs) would you agree that this is your father has put me up to this I know (laughs) just to point out Rachel and my dad used to be a class together my dad is very competitive I have a competitive streak too Rachel's competitive and my dad's competitive now normally I would find you to be more competitive with yourself but when you were against my dad there was a definite competitive streak there so it was great this is in class it was great to see because I love when people push each other or push themselves but yeah exactly. no yeah I suppose I, I yeah I, I definitely would be competitive um but I suppose as you get older you know that becomes less you know, I mean, it, it, obviously, if it's if it's in your nature, it comes out in things like that you have sports and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But in general, I think I've learned to, you know, just be more at, at peace with myself yeah. and, you know, whatever works for me rather than kind of, you know, trying not to look and see what so-and-so is doing, you know. <laughs> I think it's, it comes with age and maturity, I think, doesn't it? That you yeah. just become more content with what you have and less... Uh, competing constantly with other people, you know. Yeah, how are you at board games? Um, actually, not not sufficiently disinterested that I won't uh, I, I won't get overly involved. Or quizzes, I'm terrible because I am quite competitive. So in a quiz or a board game or anything, not I do get very. Now that you say that, Declan and I would be very competitive at, at table quizzes. Yes, yeah. we do like to do well. Um, yes, See? actually, you've just hit a nerve there. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it hasn't gone too deep yet. <laughs> and do you think, I think, um, I found personally, because I've had quite a f- number of clients who played hockey as you did, and all of the clients that I've had who play hockey are not necessarily competitive against anyone else, but very competitive 
against themselves essentially like yeah. so setting yeah. targets do you feel yeah, yeah yeah I know no no yeah absolutely absolutely and I don't think I'll, I'll ever leave that lose that but you know it's interesting because in work I would see a lot of younger women and I think they're worse than than my generation ever was in that you know they're constantly um, seeking perfection mm. and, you know, having, you know, having to have ultimate control over everything. And, and that doesn't, doesn't work very well, no. um, for, for that age group. And I, I see that, you know, this is pre COVID. I would have seen a lot of mental health issues around that because they, they drive themselves so hard. And I see it in my own kids, you know, going through the secondary school. It starts then really. Yeah. I mean, all through college and, you know, relationships and they're just, they're very hard on themselves. They're, they're not prepared to settle for, for second best at all. And, and, and then I see that coming through when they have their first child and, you know, having control issues and having a baby, as you know, are not compatible. You have got to let it go yeah. and just go with it. Um, and, you know, they often are very, very um, uptight and, and and unable to just relax into having a, a small child yeah. around the place. Um, mm. So I, I, I think it's a problem for, for younger women. I mean, that's why they are so successful, um, but it also has its downsides, you know. Um, I think also that could be partly because of social media and the internet and different things yeah. younger generations instant gratification they're, they're used to things either finding out information straight away things happening straight away not having a waiting time you know like yeah. whereas we had to watch the ads in the middle of a tv show <laughs> with no screaming and you know if if we were watching a show we had to wait another week to watch the next and you know like lots of different things and if you wanted to find out information you had to find it inside and i sound like i'm really old but i am you have to get a dictionary or an encyclopedia or you know like you couldn't just jump on your and and even at the start of the internet we didn't have smartphones so you had to get on your computer to find out stuff but I just think possibly it is the fact that and, and this has been proved in research now that because like like people in their teens and 20s are so used to stuff you know immediately getting the information and immediately yeah. I, I want this I'm going to buy it this second you're on your phone you buy it you know it's it's instant um and so they're finding it very hard when things don't go their way purely because they're they're not really used to it you know kind of being like that and that is causing a lot of mental health issues so hopefully we can get on top of that too yeah yeah I know I don't know how you get around that but it's um it certainly is a, an issue for that age group I do see it um for sure yeah we need to we do need to um we need to put the phones down a little bit a little bit more don't we um, yeah which is actually a reason why I know this is ironic a, a reason why I do love podcasts is because Whilst it is your phone, probably that you're listening to it on, I, I listen to them when I'm walking or when I'm cleaning or when I'm, you know, and it just kind of decompresses you slightly, you know, like, so you're just listening to other people talking, you're not trying to figure anything out for yourself or, you know, find stuff for yourself. It's just nice. Okay. So No, no, I agree. I agree. It must be an age thing. Am I listen to podcasts while I'm cleaning too? <laughs> Maybe it's the fact that we're our age, so we have to clean. <laughs> That's fine. I get asked a lot about fertility and mm -hmm. timing of babies and everything. Um, and certainly I would have told myself to uh, calm down a little. I mean, I thought I was ancient um, getting pregnant at 32 with my first. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it is it is a, a worry um, with younger women. They, you know, they come looking for, which is fantastic. They come looking for advice and they come looking for reassurance that, 
all the rest. But certainly um, I would have told myself to relax a little bit. But I, I do in clinical practice end up telling a lot of people not to relax too much yeah. and not to, to leave it too long. Um, and uh, that is, is, is certainly a big take home message for, for women. Um, now, look, it's not that everybody's in a position to suddenly down tools and start a family, but at least get informed, mm-hmm. find out what your fertility potential is like, um, and then make an informed decision based on that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that's, uh, that's advice that would have been very helpful for me because in my day, there wasn't that kind of, you know, there was, there was nobody you could go and talk to about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, you know, I had no concerns. There was absolutely no reason why I would have had, but it kept me awake. You know, I worried about it. A yeah. lot. There was no need for me to worry about it. Um, but nowadays young women are in a position where they can get all the information that they need and make a decision accordingly, you know? Yeah, no, I've said that to like my younger cousins and, and younger and clients. And I'm definitely going to say to Maya, you know, that, you don't know when you're going to have ki- want to have kids. You don't know if you're even going to want to have kids. But I would say definitely know your options. So, you know, ha- yeah. get your AMH tested. Just have an idea because there could be no issues, you know, as, as was your case or there could be issues as was my case. But now I had the historical women's health issues that it was kind of obvious that there may have been some problems. But because Maya was so easy that kind of then led to everyone being lulled into a false sense of security. It's like, oh, well, that happened so easily. You're grand. Turns yeah. out I wasn't. But um, so, yeah, I would definitely personally say a huge thing would be just just know your options and then you know them. And whether you ever want to follow through on it is one thing, but at least know what they are, because we all, particularly as women, feel like we need to do everything, which is, you know, career and this and that. And then we do end up putting it off and biologically speaking we are meant to have kids younger there's you know like that simple um so you put it off and you think I'll do that and you compartmentalize different parts of your life and like I will be able to do that once I do this there's never a right time as we all know but you don't know that once you decide in your head like okay now I'm going to try that it, it might work so it's just knowing knowing where you stand for me was yes. a huge thing exactly exactly yeah. And on a completely superficial note, I remember years ago, a friend of mine who was doing dermatology, we must have been quite young because she was training in dermatology and I was training in obstetrics. And she came back from a meeting in London and she said, apparently we should all be on topical retinoids. And we fell around laughing going, <laughs> oh, for God's sake, that's so funny. I should have started topical retinoids when she said that. And I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, because it's such a big thing now, isn't it? Skincare. Yeah, skincare is definitely a Oh, absolutely. But I mean, something so simple like that, you know, which just makes all the difference. So yes. I, that's, the, that's about the only thing I really regret, not telling, not knowing that. <laughs> if I did know it and I ignored it, that was even worse. Yeah. And you even knew it from a medical point of view. So exactly. exactly. I can't believe it, Rachel, that you didn't follow through with that. <laughs> um, so you have a fabulous book, The Women's Health Book, A Guide for Irish Women. Is that still available? Where is it available? No, I don't think so. I think you can. I think you can still buy the online version um, oh, through perfect. Amazon. But um, I, yeah, no, it's it. They did a limited edition, and they never reprinted it. Um, so I don't think it is available. Uh, Copy in your library. It actually, yes, it's in your library. The there libraries, the Irish libraries, bought it, um, and I think oh. there's one in every county at least. 
Um, but, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a great thing. I, now there's a leap of faith that I took. I mm-hmm. never thought I could do that. Joe, my baby was, uh, two and the publishing company approached me and I said to Declan, not a chance. I'm knackered. There's no way. And he was like, do it. You'll regret it if you don't do it. Yeah. Make yourself do it. And I did it and it was brilliant. I enjoyed every minute of it. Hated the editing process. That was excruciatingly painful. But the writing, I adored it. And then the joy of having a book in print. It was fabulous. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was something I absolutely uh, relished um, and still very proud of it. Although it's completely out of date, really. so you have to do another one now, Rachel. No, I'm definitely too old. But um, yeah, no, I mean, the HRT section, I was just looking at it. I have a copy in the waiting room and I was looking at it and it's completely out of date from HRT. A lot of stuff doesn't change, like, yes. you know, but um, the, the HRT certainly is out of date by now. Okay. And also I'd like to point out that the proceeds of it went to Breast Cancer Ireland Charity. So that is amazing, Rachel. Well done, you. Um, on your Twitter handle, you have said to call you Dr. Shoe Little? Explain. No. Have you not? No. Okay, so, oh, you must, maybe you retreated something. It's like, yes, you, I was like, oh, does she have an obsession with shoes? Which I'm guessing you probably do because I, I know your wardrobe and I know how much you like nice shops. So <laughs> I'd say you probably do. But I was like, does she have particularly small feet? Absolutely. Not, to be fair, it's not on your handle. I was incorrect in saying that. It's when you search you, which obviously I was doing my research, and I search, and on Twitter it comes up, and a tag is something something. Yes, you can call me Doctor Shoe Little. Maybe you maybe you tweeted it at some stage in, in reply to somebody. That must off have been the cuff. No. <laughs> I have been called many things, <laughs> but that is not neither accurate nor correct. So you neither have small I feet. Have tiny feet. I do not have a small shoe collection. <laughs> no, you have a very big shoe collection. Very very collection. Which is what the way I was going with it is called you Dr. Shoe Little because you have so many shoes. So yeah, it's semi-correct. Um, so anything else you would tell your younger self? Anything else? Let me think. I mean, COVID has been very... Um, uninteresting for me as a family unit because you know I continued to work which mm-hmm. was great so my structure of my day didn't change too much um which I think was hugely important for my own mental health and um, what did happen was we uh we spent a lot of time together as a family mm-hmm. which was we always were good actually I have to say but you know the the dinner every night together has been fantastic yeah. so you know like I feel guilty when people talk about how distressing um COVID was because we had no illnesses we had no deaths and um, we had very little change to our structure and our family unit became even closer so you know it, it it wasn't it wasn't a particularly traumatic time for me I have to say from a work perspective COVID was was has been much more challenging this mm-hmm. year than last year um, and that's just the nature of the healthcare system you know it's it's imploding slowly and and that reflects on everybody involved in healthcare but um yeah, I mean, it, it actually wasn't as traumatic as as I know other people have had it. Um, one thing that I would say is that, um, 
you know, from perspective of running my own clinic, um, I, I, you know, I, I never saw myself as somebody that would be Mm self-employed. I just assumed the path, career path that I took, that I would be an employee of the HSC. And so that was a huge leap of faith, becoming a a business owner. Mm -hmm. Um, But my goodness, the benefits of it, if you can make it work for yourself, are huge. Um, I would have told my younger self that really, if you can make it work, which in medicine isn't easy if you're not in the GP realm, you know, it's not easy to make a business um, when you're not in the GP scope. But, um, you know, that's certainly something I would have encouraged my younger self to think about, at you know, earlier than I did, because it was a revelation to me becoming my own boss and has been nothing but joy. Um because it's just the flexibility that you get with the children yeah. and all the rest. It's just, there's nothing like it. Um, so, you know, I, that's something I would have told my younger self would be, you know, look at possibilities of being self-employed because um, it has worked out so well for me. It's amazing. It helps that you're a superstar in the field. So, well, I mean, there's nothing like getting into a niche area <laughs> to make you, uh, you know, somebody that people feel they need to see. You know, I mean, I think sub-specializing in at the area of women's health, I, I, it was it was totally fortuitous. As I say, it was it was one of those things. It stemmed from going to Australia where there was such an amazing focus on women's health. I would never have even had the concept of that. I mean, we have the Well Woman Clinics and they are fantastic mm-hmm. and they're amazing amenity, um, but they are limited in that the staff that they employ, you know, the, it's it's hit and miss as to whether they have a huge background in women's health mm-hmm. or not. Um, but that was certainly the model that came to my mind, having done all the training in, in Australia, come back and realize that, this was something that I could try and replicate here, yeah. um, but not under the auspices of a hospital. Um, and, you know, sub-specializing into an area and learning as much as you possibly can about such a small area, you know, it it, it does become very appealing to, to women because then they know that they're talking to somebody who this is what they do in day in, day out. And I hear that all the time from yeah. patients. I just want to talk to somebody who sees this all the time, you know, and that they get great reassurance from that, you know. Yeah, it's like, and I'm I'm not trying to trivialize anything, but it's like if you go to a restaurant and they have a huge menu, yeah. pages and pages long, and they do everything, you kind of go, yeah, they do anything brilliantly, you know. So, uh, whereas if you go to a, another restaurant, usually if you go to like a higher end restaurant, they don't have very much on that menu, but they tend to do it very well. So, exactly, you know, exactly. That's similar, exactly. similar but different, um, kind of thing. But yeah, well from my point of view, what you do is just amazing. And it is so important. And the fact that, as we've already discussed, women have been ignored, or, you know, basically told that they're being stupid for so long to have an expert who will listen to you. And it's just amazing. Like, so yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes it's just time that they need. Um, and, you know, like, GPs by virtue of their daily schedule just doesn't don't have that amount yeah. of time. Um, so sometimes it's just, I mean, sometimes at the end of the day, I think I've actually done very little except talk and listen and reassure. Haven't prescribed much, haven't done much. Um, and, and, and it, it, 
always amazes me how people walk out and they've had a weight lifted off because they've been told that actually it's fine or actually it's normal. And and I often think, gosh, I wonder if they feel a bit shortchanged because they haven't got a prescription or, you know, but actually they just want to talk to somebody that can identify with what they're saying and reassure them that either it's normal or no, it's absolutely not normal. And this is what we need to do. You know? Yeah, which is just so important. So I don't want to keep you for too much longer because I'm well aware that not only are you um, a very successful and busy business owner, you're also a mom to four children who I'm sure are look appreciate their slightly older children at this stage, but still, <laughs> they're probably still looking for you to be mom and to do stuff. Um, so if you can you think of anything else, any kind of last little tidbit, anything that you deep down in that memory, Rachel, you know? <laughs> Well, I was listening to a podcast myself um, the other day, and I was by the very eminent um, Dr. Louise Newson, who is the um, kind of uh, flag bearer of menopause in the UK. And she was talking about supplements. And she was talking to a nutritionist who's also a doctor, and they were talking mm-hmm. about supplements and all the rest. And it hit home to me that there is way too much going on in Ireland in terms of supplements and you know it 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 irks me enormously and I've fallen into the trap I've done it myself I have supplemented myself over the years with things that looked very sounded like they were very attractive but the truth is that you cannot supplement your way out of a bad diet you know really we with a proper balanced diet and that is vegetarian and vegan you know there is absolutely no reason why you need supplementation other than possibly vitamin B12 and absolutely vitamin D for everybody. But apart from that, um, and I suppose because of the space that I'm in with menopause and everything, there's an awful lot of menopausal supplements out Mm -hmm. there or women's health in general, you know, for PMS and hormone balancing and menopause. And they are very expensive. And I feel very angry about it because, you know, there there is very little science behind them. Um, and, and I think that that's wrong. And I think there's a lot of people in my profession who are endorsing them, which also drives me mad. Mm-hmm. And it, I was delighted. And I've always felt very strongly about this. And I it was I was delighted to hear Louise Newson saying that, you know, she has never, ever attached her name to a product. And I get approached a lot about products and I have mm-hmm. never, ever endorsed anything um, for that exact reason. Um, yeah. And, and it, I just think it's something that women are susceptible to, you know, when they're at a low ebb, they go into the pharmacy and they see these things and they see, you know, um, you know, advertorials with famous people and they get sucked in. And it, it, it depresses me because really, you know, you cannot beat a good balanced diet plus yeah. vitamin D, you know. Yes, vitamin D. We definitely need that. Although we've done pretty well this year, like it's- Sun, sunlight wise it's I'm oh, looking out here and it's November and it's still sunny it's amazing but the rays are sufficiently yes. low from September to May yeah it doesn't matter if the sun's shining we're not getting any vitamin d out yeah. of it um, that's why we all need holidays I've always said if I ever ran for any kind of political office one of the things I'd run with would be that all Irish people should be given a week away in the sun in the winter by the government. I just think it would reduce healthcare costs, it would reduce mental health costs, yeah, it would reduce know how you feel holidays. You know, I think you're a little biased. <laughs> <Words on> holidays. <laughs> 
Well, I, I genuinely, and my dad has said since I was a child that I should not have been born in Ireland. I, I get Raynaud's, I get like kind of, you know, I do, I definitely need the heat and the sun, but I'm not alone in thinking this because some of the Scandinavian countries, they actually do this. They actually send people away during the winter months. Now, I do appreciate they may have no sunlight, but they do yeah, send people away. Daylight. <laughs> they send people away for a week. So I'm like, do you know what? I It may not have been my original idea, which I thought it was, but obviously I'm onto something. Well, look, I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, during the, the deepest, darkest winter months, you know, mood drops dreadfully. Um, so it's definitely a thing, all right. But yeah, no, that's my that's my final word of wisdom is supplements. Think very long and hard before you fork out 50 quid a month for something that really, you know, you're being taken for a ride. Yeah, I've done that so many times that I've I've gone and gone in and bought, oh, I don't know how many different things and then ended up taking them for like a few weeks and then forgetting. And then I do find magnesium helps me at night time with the fact that I'm not a great sleeper and also I get that eye twitch thing occasionally yeah. when I'm tired when I haven't got a lot of sleep so I do find magnesium but I don't take too many no you're right magnesium I forgot about magnesium magnesium certainly in the right per in the right person can be yeah. quite helpful for sure yeah yeah so well there we go thank you for that pearl of wisdom <laughs> thank you so much for chatting to me Rachel I am very very appreciative appreciative of it and as I said even before I knew exactly how a little foresight was going to run you were on my list of people that I had we to had talked about doing something about women's health for sure so. we have indeed for a long time and I know I kind of um how would you say hijacked the podcast to get you to talk a little bit more about it but from my point of view I just feel like the information you've given today free information guys that Rachel has given today is just so helpful to so many will be so helpful to so many different people um, well, and I know as a patient of yours how much you've helped me so thank you very much oh my pleasure see you soon bye thank you so much for listening to A Little Foresight if you enjoyed it please share with others and like and subscribe if there's anyone you'd like to hear on the podcast or if you have any questions or just want to chat about anything spoken about please do get in touch it's A Little Foresight on Instagram and Little Forsyth on Twitter. Take care and stay safe. Thank you so much for listening to A Little Forsyth. If you enjoyed it, please share with others and like and subscribe. If there's anyone you'd like to hear on the podcast, or if you have any questions, or just want to chat about anything spoken about, please do get in touch. It's A Little Forsyth on Instagram, and Little Forsyth on Twitter. Take care and stay safe.